edition of the show before the show podcast, free from the clutches of Samuel Dykstra. My name is Tyler Mon with Benjamin Hill in New York City. Um, you phrased it funnier than I did uh, just now. Yesterday in a, a Slack message, you said, uh, looks like we've once again rid ourselves of Sam's malevolent pod influence. Ben, I don't think it can be better stated. Hello. How are you? Good. I'm, yeah, I'm feeling uh, there's just not a uh, yeah malevolent uh, vibes because yeah, you're, you're unencumbered. Unencumbered. Yeah. Things just feel light. It feels like it's sunnier outside. Um, <laughs> life just feels easier to deal with. And The uh, air tastes sweet. It does. And that's because Sam Dykstra is, is not with us. He's in Norfolk. Um, Norfolk. It's a, a lot of different regional pronunciations for that city, but he is seeing the tides right now. Um, and Sam, we love you. Don't take this personally. We do. We do. He is the nicest man on planet Earth. And uh, we miss him. I miss when Sam's not on the show. We have to, we throw out our digs because we miss him so much. Um, there is also, I think I've said this on the podcast before, there is a town in Nebraska spelled the same way as the home of the Norfolk Tides. And people in Nebraska pronounce it Norfolk uh, <laughs> because they say it's at the North Fork of the Platte River, which to me, I don't know, put a second R in there if that's how you want people to pronounce it then. Uh, but yeah, Sam, taking in uh, a little bit of Baltimore Orioles top prospect action. I know Adley Rutschman just hit his first AAA homer uh, a short time ago. Adley Rutschman, the uh, late start to the season for him with the injury coming out of spring training. Uh, but Adley Rutschman is back and he is healthy and playing. And uh, Sam is taking in that game right now in Norfolk. So, uh, you know, not uh, our usual podcast format, but we got a lot of fun stuff to get to uh, today. Uh, coming up in a little while, we got a fantastic conversation uh, with Corey Church, who is the uh, groundskeeper in Winston-Salem, who you may well have seen go viral on social media for his play to save an afternoon of baseball um, by diving uh, to stop a uh, an errant sprinkler, a uh, malfunctioning kind of sprinkler that was geysering all over the uh, the pitcher's mound. Uh, but we talk about a lot of fun stuff with Corey. He's coming up in a little bit, and uh, a lot to get to to talk about with Ben today as well. Thanks for hanging out with us on this week's edition of the show before the show, wherever you find us, you can get in touch podcast at MILB.com. Uh, Sam and Ben on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, MILB and at Ben's biz. And uh, I am at Tyler Mon. and uh, let's get to it. We talked a little bit last week, Ben, about uh, the Pensacola Blue Wahoos holding a ballpark memorial service for one of their most beloved fans. Uh, she was known by her nickname, Roe, uh, Judith Roanne Bergman, uh, who passed away and was really the number one fan, uh, quote unquote, of the, the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. Uh, this is something that there is such a special relationship between minor league teams and their fans, the diehards especially, but for uh, the people who kind of set themselves apart, as a, a team's top supporter, there's even something more incredible there. Tell us about the this story and the memorial and uh, getting a chance to dive into it in a little bit more depth than uh, than we did last week. Yeah, yeah, we talked about it last week. The story's up right now on MILB.com. Um, yeah, Roe just meant so much to the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. And as I think I mentioned last week, one of the reasons we bring – I write stories like this and we talk about things like this because it is so applicable to minor league parks across the country, um, just how much the fans mean and the, the sort of connections they have. Um, you know, Roe died of cancer and she was in the home hospice care um, towards the end of her days. And um, just the number of front office staffers who went to visit her um, during that time, you know, to, to bring her comfort in her final days and the fact that she um, that she had planned, you know, she asked to have the, the memorial held at the ballpark. I mean, I think that says a lot. 
Uh, I have a quote in the story from Daniel Venn, the Blues Wahoo, the Blue Wahoo's vice president of entertainment and media. And he says, you know, there was quite literally a line of people waiting to see her throughout our visit. Her phone never stopped ringing. She had so many friends, so many people who wanted to wish her well because she brought so much kindness and joy everywhere she went. And so many of those people, you know, were connected with her through the Pensacola Blue Wahoos and through baseball. And so those connections are really strong and uh, always look for a chance to write about that kind of thing. When um, you talk with front office members um, about somebody who meant so much to them, that is emotional in its own way. What was it like getting a chance to hear about her from people in the front office? I know you spoke with, with Blue Wahoo's ownership. Uh, what did that um, come across as in being able to experience kind of their love for her? Yeah, well, you know, talking to Quint Studer, who owns the team, you know, he owned the um, the independent team in Pensacola prior to the Blue Wahoos. So, and and Roe was at those games as well with her her husband who passed away over a decade ago. Um, so he knew her for a long time, and uh, you know, he was saying like, you know, it's just not really the same without her at the ballpark. And you know, she they used to have a. He said they had a sliding scale for her. You know, for the cost of season tickets. And then the team would just make up, you know, she'd say, well, this is how much I can pay this year. And the, the team would pay the rest. You know, there was just no question that, you know, she wouldn't be at the games and the team would do, you know, whatever they could to have her around uh, to the extent that they then gave her a job in the press box uh, in 2018. And, you know, that's how much her presence was um, was wanted at the ballpark and how much she's missed. A pretty awesome story that is up uh, on the site at MILB.com right now. And uh, our condolences to the, the Blue Wahoos and the Rose family. But um, what an amazing person uh, it seems like to be able to make such an impact on so many people and, and such a fan base and a front office and players as well. Uh, a really cool story that's up on the site. Um, let's transition to Rochester and talk about uh, a really cool connection between the Rochester Red Wings and uh, a member of the international baseball community, uh, Yuka Ropinen, who is the president of the Finnish Baseball and Softball Federation, along with uh, that federation's national team head coach, Taro Honkinen. They got to hang out with the Rochester Red Wings from May 3rd to the 7th. And just experience baseball for a few days, as you may guess. Baseball not huge in Finland. Uh, that is a country that is hockey crazy. They produce some of the best uh, hockey goalies in the world and, and a lot of other hockey talent. Uh, soccer, probably the second most popular sport, as Ben notes um, in his in his story, which is coming up to the site. But this is such a cool piece. Uh, it's obviously very much up my alley as an international baseball nerd. Uh, but this is, this is really cool stuff. And it's one of those very small world connections. This actually dates back a few decades for... Uh, these Finnish baseball dignitaries and their connection with Rochester. Yeah, these are two men who visited Rochester who, um, you know, who are making it their lives, life's mission to grow the game of baseball in Finland. And uh, yeah, Tyler, with your world baseball experience, you know, broadcasting all over the globe, I uh, have to give you credit there because we did not talk about the pronunciation of these Finnish names, you know, prior to this segment. And, you know, J-U-K-K-A, I did not know that was Yuka. But, and uh, I'm sure I probably screwed them up in some way, but but yeah, uh, that's as close as I could get. Well, Yuka, he is the president of the Finnish Baseball and Softball Federation. Um, over two decades ago, he was living in Rochester on a work assignment with uh, Kodak that is based in Rochester. And there he got to know um, Red Wings general manager Dan Mason because they played on a men's hockey team together. 
And so that connection has stayed. And that's the reason that um, Yuka and Taro visited from Finland uh, for a week. And it was basically like a fact-finding trip um, to learn about how the Red Wings operate, uh, to learn about, you know, marketing and promotion and social media and ways that they can engage, uh, you know, with fans or would-be fans and ways they can make uh, the ballpark, you know, just a fun place for anyone to go. And Taro, the uh, coach of the national team, he was basically embedded with uh, Red Wings manager Matt LaCroix and the Red Wings coaching staff throughout the week. So he, I'm sure, picked up a lot of valuable information about coaching and the, and just the routines of, um, you know, minor league baseball players and coaches. You know, this is AAA. This is a very high level of baseball. So just pretty cool that these two guys from Finland you know, came to Rochester and, and that was what they were doing. And, uh, you know, it was an inter, I talked to Dan Mason and Yuka on a zoom call and, you know, talked to them. Um, and yeah, you know, how often do you read about, um, you know, Finnish baseball dignitaries visiting a minor league baseball team? Never until now on MILB.com. And an interesting thing about baseball in Finland is that after hockey and soccer, the third most popular sport, and it's really the national sport because it's unique to Finland is their version of baseball. Yeah. Called- Pesa Palo. And uh, that translates literally to baseball. You know, Pesa is base and Palo is ball. I'm sure I'm getting the exact pronunciation wrong, but it's a really popular sport there already. But the issue for Yuka is that, you know, they're trying to grow Finland, their baseball presence internationally. And Pesa Palo is a national sport. So you know, he, he grew up playing it. He loves the game, but the game is different. It's, it's the playing field is long and narrow. There's no pitcher's mound. There's only three bases. Batters don't need to run after hitting the ball unless there are two strikes. A home run is actually a foul ball, so you're not just trying to crush it as, as far as you can. But he says a lot of these Pesa Palo players have skills that are very applicable to baseball. So he's trying to make uh, baseball itself much more of an option and also, um, you know, get Pesa Palo players to consider, especially if they're not operating at the highest level of that sport, you know, to think of transitioning to baseball because the skill set is so applicable. So it's a pretty interesting situation. Really cool story uh, that is up on the site right now. If you are uh, like me, if you are like Ben, you will also note that uh, Finland Baseball, uh, Baseball Finland, the official name of the uh, the Federation, they've got an amazing logo, and I very much want a hat or a hoodie that uh, Yuka is rocking in, uh, in one of these. They've got a very cool bear head logo. Uh, also, there's a note at the end of Ben's story that, uh, you know, they had gotten so much uh, in terms of the, the baseball knowledge and input and things that they could think about. And there was a suggestion from the Rochester side that maybe instead of a bat dog in Finland, uh, Rochester Red Wing general manager Dan Mason suggested a bat bear, which apparently that idea got shot down. I think it'd be pretty cool. Uh, I guess the maulings would probably kind of take the, you know, the thrill away if a bear is having a bad day and just like goes after an umpire probably wouldn't be the best site for a, a family friendly environment, but I think it'd be cool. I not think it'd be mauling, really cool. Not the mauling, just the bat bear. That'd be oh, cool. I think it'd be really cool. I mean, Hey, what's an occasional mauling for something that would otherwise yeah. bring so much joy to, to the fans. Um, all right. Ballpark guys are back. We, uh, obviously with the start of the season, uh, we have slowed down our ability to roll out ballpark guides on a, a regular basis, uh, because we're covering so much on-field stuff, but, uh, Ben, you've got one of the newest ones out Greensboro, the home of the grasshoppers. 
Yeah, Greensboro Grasshoppers. What is it called now? First National Bank Field, I, I believe. That's the latest ballpark guide. Yet again, a ballpark guide from the state of North Carolina, which is not surprising, given that North Carolina has so many minor league baseball teams. Greensboro is roughly in the center of it all there in North Carolina. I've been to that ballpark once. Um, you know, when we talk about, like, the best views at minor league ballparks, you know, Greensboro usually doesn't get mentioned and it maybe is not, you know, the best on the level of, you know, Charlotte or uh, Salt Lake, but uh, really great skyline, Greensboro skyline views in that downtown ballpark. Uh, there's been a lot of development around the area, especially in recent years. There's a new building, an office building that's essentially on the premises of the ballpark, a big brick structure. Um, you know, it's really impressive looking. And it, it just a, it's a good place to see a game. It's very much a, you know, early 21st century ballpark, you know, when the, when there was that kind of revolution in design, um, you know, with big wide concourses, plenty of room to move, uh, lots of berm seating, group areas. Um, you know, it's a pretty spacious place and uh, great views. and. Uh, Speaking of bat dogs, not bat bears, but bat dogs, the grasshoppers are arguably the, you know, the, the almost the originators of the bat dog. Ever since moving into that ballpark in 2005, they've had bat dogs and office dogs. And, um, you know, there's always been a huge hit with the fan base. Um, and they have a new dog this year or a newer dog. Uh, was it Miss Willie, Miss Willa May, I believe is her name. And there's also a, uh, all the dogs are named after baseball players. There's a, a young Mr. Jackie Robinson dog, I believe as well. But uh, a lot of their dogs have been, you know, essentially local celebrities and minor league baseball celebrities through the years. So great environment for dogs as well there in, in Greensboro, even though they are the grasshoppers named after an insect. And um, also in Greensboro, Derek Jeter played at the previous uh, ballpark war Memorial stadium. And I just like to point out, cause it's fun, funny, he set the South Atlantic League record for errors when he played in Greensboro. He made 56 errors, but clearly he had potential and went on to do pretty well for himself. Pretty well for himself. You can check that story out uh, on MLB Pipeline uh, at MILB.com slash fan slash ballpark dash guides. And uh, the Ben's Biz newsletter is uh, continuing along another week. Uh, anything especially unique and cool coming out in the newsletter this week? Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't help but note, I'm personally not a huge fan of the, uh, the franchise, but it's, you know, starting with May 4th, which was a Wednesday, you know, it became officially Star Wars season in minor league baseball. So I have a little roundup of uh, what's going on in uh, the world of Star Wars promotions. Um, you know, one feature I really like in the newsletter, uh, a question of minor concern, where I just ask people to... Um, I ask a question about minor league baseball and solicit answers and include one in the next week's newsletter. I think there's a lot of potential for those. Maybe we could read some of the additional answers on the air, or maybe in the off season, I could compile them into feature stories because I get way too many uh, good responses that, that I can include, you know, cause I, I can't have a newsletter that goes on for thousands and thousands of words. Although I guess I could cause the internet is infinite. But anyway, last week's question was uh, there's a ballpark you could go back in time to visit that is no longer around, you know, which one would it be and got a lot of great answers related to that question. Um, so really appreciated that. And some pretty funny, funny answers as well. So, uh, you know, look, look for that, the question of the week, every week in the newsletter and uh, send me an email. Uh, I enjoy when people get in touch with me. And if you're not subscribed to the newsletter, it's, I'm still working on it, but there's a newsletter registration page on MILB.com. There's three dots on the homepage of the top menu section Hover over those dots and newsletter will come up. If you need any help, send me an email, benjamin.hill at mlb.com. And um, one other thing I'd like to mention is, yeah, I'm going on the road. I've mentioned it but uh, in previous podcasts, but uh, next week, 
Wednesday and Thursday, the 18th and 19th in Sugarland, uh, the 20th in San Antonio, and the 21st in Round Rock. Uh, still looking for designated eaters or still accepting designated eater applications. If you want to uh, eat some ballpark food uh, for me during one of those visits, send me an email, benjamin.hill at mlb.com. Time is running out, but especially Sugarland, maybe because it's uh, new to the affiliated scene, have not gotten too many responses um, for the Sugarland designated eater. Really want to find a good one. So you want to be a designated eater in Sugarland next week, May 18th and 19th, uh, get in touch. Just one of those days, either or, May 18th or 19th. Anyway, hit me up, benjamin.hill at mlb.com. Make it happen. Uh, and you can check out all of Ben's stuff at MILB.com and MLB.com as well. Uh, ben, tee us up. This interview I loved today. We had a whole bunch of fun. Uh, give us the, the lowdown. Well, you uh, you gave a pretty good synopsis earlier in the segment. It is uh, Director of Grounds for the Winston-Salem Dash, Corey Church, uh, talking all about groundskeeping, but first talking about his uh, newfound viral internet stardom. And how often does that, can you say that about a minor league groundskeeper? So we had to talk to him. Corey Church with the Winston-Salem Dash. Here on the show before the show podcast, I, Benjamin Hill, and co-host Tyler Mon are joined by a very special guest, Corey Church, the director of grounds for the Winston-Salem Dash. Corey became a how do we say it? An internet sensation recently due to the slide. Uh, if you have not seen this video, check it out on social media, on the uh, Winston-Salem Dash Twitter page, among other places. Uh, you Google the slide. But basically, a geyser erupted in the infield, and uh, Corey was there sliding heroically to stop the leak and save the field. And uh, I thought to myself, we need to get Corey on the show to talk about uh, the slide and groundskeeping in general. So thanks for being here, Corey. Yeah, absolutely. Like we were just talking about beforehand, that it's just I, all I was trying to do was turn the water off. And everybody seems to really love everything that happened after that. And the comments, if you get a chance to watch the video, just go watch it and then turn to the comments. And that's where it really gets entertaining. Yeah. And what, I think, you know, the reason this video got so much attention is it, the slide. You're not in the frame when the video starts. This huge you know, burst of water comes forth and you literally do a headfirst slide to uh you know, to stop the leak. So take us through what happened there and uh, your response. So every groundskeeper, no matter what league they're in, what affiliation, they're always expecting the worst. And I knew that at some point in my career on a baseball field, that was going to happen. So you go ahead and you plan for it. I mean, you got dreams, you lose a lot of sleep because of things like this. So it was a one o'clock game. This is at 1230. We finally finished our pregame water. and I've got my guy taking it off and it's no new guy by any means. It's just, he's been here with me for two years probably taking the hose on and off a million times. And, and he's, he's not new. So whenever it happens, it, it just kind of like blanks your mind out, especially in a high-stress situation in the pregame because you know you're trying to get everything where it needs to be. And uh, it happened. I'm over at first base. I've got the water hose completely open, trying to get him to kill the water pressure before he takes the hose off. And he happens to take the hose off before he turns the water off. So as soon as it happens, you know you prep for this. <laughs> you don't really prep for it, but you expect it. So when it happened – I take off running for first base. I take like four steps. My girlfriend who's in the control room at the time says I took four steps and jumped and was probably four foot parallel to the ground diving after this, this valve just to shut the valve off. And at the time, whenever it happened, Chase, my assistant, he just couldn't, he, he couldn't think. And I completely understand that when all that stuff is happening, he has no idea what's going on. And he just kind of turns and looks at me 
And by the time that he realizes what all was going on, I'm diving in and finally got the water shut off and everything just kind of goes downhill from there. But uh, it, it, it's crazy to watch the video and see that I've got two other guys working on the plate for me at the time, Mike and Rob. They're both like doing their job the way they're supposed to be. And that's how I run my crew. Don't let any distraction bother you. Just get the job done that I tell you to do. And that's what they were doing. And everybody loves that too. They dive after that. They tell Mike, some of the comments say, not my circus, not my monkeys. And they say that for my guy, Mike, who's working on the boxes. It's, it's hilarious. And, and just the way that they took it and how it blew up is something that I never expected. Yeah. So it, it did blow up. And, um, you know, what's, what's your reaction been to the reaction that the, the video got? Um, you know, so many people sharing it. Um, I bet you've been hearing it from your coworkers, from the front office, from friends and family. Uh, what's it been like for you in the wake of all this? It's, it's been something special. You don't get any, uh, you don't get any attention as a groundskeeper. And then something like this happens where you're trying to fly under the radar as best you can. And I was hoping and praying that nobody had the video to this. And it happens that somebody happened to have a camera rolling in center field at the time. So I'm not trying to get any attention on anything. I was just trying to turn the water off. And uh, they actually turned it into a promotional night to where we were giving out bottles of grounds crew water. And uh, we had a dollar off sliders. I mean, we had bottles of water were on sale. We had was going to have a 200-foot slip and slide out in the outfield hill for kids to come in with a fire hydrant that we had the fire department keep it wet for us. And it was it was – it was a whole big thing that everybody turned it into. And uh, I, I never expected any of this stuff to happen. And, and to me, it seems like when somebody gets 10 million views across all platforms, they just, all the, all the pressure goes right to their head. And me, I'm, I'm just going to keep doing my job. I was just trying to turn the water off and we're going to continue doing that. Corey, I was going to say, you seem uh, almost a little embarrassed by all the attention. How's it felt uncomfortable at times? Like you're, you're doing your job. What's, what's it felt like becoming like a phenom like this? It's been a mess, man. I, I try, like I said, crew tries to fly under the radar. We're kind of like umpires. You, you'll never get noticed if you're doing your job right. And if something happens that's wrong, everybody's attention goes straight to you. And that's exactly what happened. I am not looking forward to any of this attention. I didn't want any of this stuff. I was praying that nobody had the video. It was like as a groundskeeper, you want everything to go as smooth as possible. And then whenever something goes wrong, you want to hide your face as quick as you can. And now it is everywhere, man. And it seems like we don't know what we're doing. But uh, if somebody was to come and actually watch us on a regular setup, my, my guys and my crew have it all down to the science, man. We got everything handled and, and we're really good at what we do. But as far as like when stuff happens like that, you don't want anybody to see it, but not everybody has seen it now. Well, that's the, kind of the funny thing is you guys, uh, like you said, you've done this a million times. The one time that it doesn't go according to plan is the one time that catches fire. Take us through sort of what happened there. The the water, obviously, was there a hose that became disconnected before the water was shut off? What happened right. to, to create that geyser? So we've got a, a ball valve directly behind home plate that's got an inch diameter you know, hose running to it. I mean, it puts the water out. And uh, that's what we use to water the field with. That's what we use to water the grass with. I mean, it's just like if you're watering a, a golf green or anything like that, it's got a quick coupler to it. So it's got a ball valve down there. And what you're supposed to do is cut the ball valve off. I let the pressure off of the hose, and then we take the hose off and set it to the side. and start ah. getting water. So what he did was just kind of – he skipped that ball valve part and just went straight to taking the hose off, and that's when everything went to nuts. And then all I had to do <laughs> – and cut that ball valve off and go back to step one, except we went to step three first. And then I went back to step one after everything happened. So it was, I mean, nothing crazy happened. It, it, there's been a lot worse. I mean, but 
I mean, as far as getting everything handled, we got it pretty well down and, and figured out in the in amount of time that I was comfortable with. And I don't know if the slide was necessary, but at the time, all I'm thinking about is get the water off. And that's, that's, that's when the slide come into it. You said that that happened at 1230. You had a one o'clock game. Um, even in just a matter of seconds like that, there was a lot of water that obviously got on the, the field right behind the mound. Did you guys have to get out there with, with diamond dry or do anything to prep the, the mound or make sure that that area was dry or did it kind of drain okay? No, luckily everything went up, and uh, whenever it come back down, the particle size has got so small already that it was just kind of like a light mist. I mean, if anything, it helped me out on getting my mound moisture where it needed to be, correct. <laughs> so, if anything, it helped, and it definitely brought some attention to the dash, and that's, <laughs> that's not what we're here for, but I'm glad I could help out in those departments. Now, have you gotten comments from the team or your coaching staff on, like, your slide form uh, your instant celebrity. Have you heard from members of the roster about it? Oh, absolutely. All the players, <laughs> they love how go back and watch the video. Uh, you'll hear at the end of it, a bunch of hooping and hollering and cheering and hands clapping. That's actually the Hickory Crawdads warming up. <laughs> and as we were driving, uh, I think we played Greensboro there shortly after. And uh, as, I'm, as I'm driving off the field from a regular pregame setup, I can I get like three guys that are in the bullpen as we come across it. Hey, nice slide. I've never seen these guys before in my life. But they are they congratulating me on this slide that I I really was just trying to get the water to turn off. Corey, when uh you like you said, you're a, a crew that um, your job, your mission is sort of to be unseen and take care of a, a field and a park that are um, gorgeous. And I mean, one of the best in the minor leagues, what has been the coolest part about, especially your time in Winston-Salem, but kind of just getting into this career field, um, you know, being able to be the, the steward of a facility like that. What, what do you enjoy about it? What makes it something that you've sought out as a career? Right, so, so some of the best part about my job is for, the majority of after we get all of our work done, we get to sit back and watch a free minor league baseball game. I mean, that's just, that's just part of it. We get to sit back and, and get to watch the fruits of our labor, if you will, and, and, and just show what we can do. And, and you'll learn on the grounds crew, you'll watch the ball a lot more than you will the players. You'll just kind of watch and, and then you'll be able to see like how these errors happen and how, how the ball comes off the bat and how the pitcher lands on certain areas and how it affects his speed and his break and, and things like that is stuff that you never think that you'll ever see. But you get to see part of that from a grounds crew perspective because you're trying to watch and make sure that the field is where it needs to be. And some of the best parts about my job is being able to shake hands with these guys and build a relationship and they know you by your first name and then you'll see them in, in the majors like uh, Nick Madrigal and uh, Andrew Vaughn and Luis Robert, he's been here. I mean, a lot of these guys that are in the majors now. They know me by name. I've shook their hand. I've, I've tended to them in ways that, you know, they're getting that treatment in MLB now. And it's, it's just been great to be able to see the fruits of your labor pay off, plus build a relationship with these guys that are in the MLB now that some of these kids die for their autographs. Well, I've, I've shook their hands. I've talked to them. I've, I've learned some Spanish from some of these guys. It, it's been great. You know, Corey, in my minor league baseball travels you know I've talked to a decent amount of groundskeepers and I always kind of like the sort of under the radar stories you hear um, and each place has its own unique challenges I remember talking to a guy in uh, Midland Texas years ago and talking about dealing with tarantulas on the field and all sorts of wildlife what are some of the you know everyone knows your job is to take care of the field but what are some of the lesser known or weirder challenges of being a, a grounds crew member or being director of a grounds crew you know the other people that, you know, civilians, those not in the field might not know anything about. 
Yeah, so some of those things you, you never – like if somebody was asking me a question like this, dude, right off the top of my head, I have no idea. But uh, some of the things that they don't see that they probably should is like the times when we don't get the tarp on completely during the middle of a huge thunderstorm. I mean, parts like that to where we've got to work extra hard to get that area that didn't get covered back to where it is playable. And the fans will never see that because we'll start on time. We'll have everybody out there. Everybody will be having a great time. But no one will know the work that went into that thing from like – three to six forty-five on a seven o'clock game of, of how hard we had to work to get that field back where it needed to be and things like that. I mean, what we have our fair share of, you know, lightning on the field and my dog, Emmy Lou has had some, had some, some fame out there as well, playing fetch with the players during the rain delay and, uh, you know, just things like that that happen behind the scenes. I mean, I'm sure there's many stories out there that got, you know, issues and stuff that's been taken care of, but the main part is that they were taken care of. And the fans didn't actually get to see that part. But uh, right off the top of my head, I don't have anything. I mean, the sprinklers have cut on during different different scenarios and had issues with things like that. But as far as, like, you know, stuff that would hinder a start time, luckily I have not had to deal with that yet. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I'm going to knock on wood now. But uh, I'm, I'm sure sometime in the future there will be something to where we delay a game because of the grounds crew. And if somebody has a video of it, I will make sure it gets deleted before it, before it goes out anywhere. <laughs> and, you know, another thing about, um, you know, groundskeepers I've noticed is, you know, there's often a tension between the grounds crew and some of the other front office staff in the sense that, you know, they want guests on the field and between inning contests and, you know, props and stuff. Um, but it's always like, oh, can we do that? Or is that going to make the groundskeeper too mad? Uh, from your perspective, um, you know, what are some of the uh, more annoying things you have to deal with and where they kind of give you that, that literal, you know, get off my lawn sort of feeling? <laughs> so I've been kind of more of a laid back groundskeeper compared to some of these guys that you hear, like the old school guys who really don't want anybody on the field. I mean, you got to think on a golf course, you've got golf carts driving across the grass. You've got all these rounds of golf that are coming out on a golf green and things like that. And, and the entertainment aspect of MILB is what it is. I mean, we, that's why some of these people stay in MILB instead of going to MLB because you lose a lot of that fan interaction. And believe it or not, our vice president of ballpark experience and branding, Jessica Aviard, she's actually my girlfriend. <laughs> so going along the lines of things that go on on the field, I can't say much or else I'll be sleeping on the couch, but, uh, Things like that go along with everything. Um, I mean, it's just part of it, believe it or not. And some of these guys that are old school, I completely understand trying to keep them off the grass. But you got to think of it from a fan's perspective as well, as well as being a groundskeeper. So some of the things that we can get out there and play, I love watching it. But times whenever we, like, strap two guys together and try to get them to run as far apart from each other and they're kicking grass clumps up and stuff like that, we can back off on a little bit of that thing. But to watch a, watch a little four- or five-year-old, hop down the base path on like one of those blow up things. I mean, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. Corey, I want to go back to something you said uh, a little while ago, which is that you, you tend to watch the ball more than you watch players when you get a chance to sit back and, and watch games. How much can you tell from, um, you know, I, I know you guys have kind of a, a ground level view perch. How much can you tell from the way the ball is bouncing as to if something takes a weird hop, do you know, okay, well, we got to do something specific with this spot. How much can you glean from that? So uh, one of the biggest challenges of having a natural turf field is that the, uh, the dirt and the grass, sometimes the lips will get a little out of hand and you mm -hmm. want to watch that ball roll because whenever it transitions from the dirt to the grass, if that pops up, you try to make a play, a shortstop running behind a third baseman or some, some sort of issue like that. If that ball hops up, we're hitting a guy in the face with a baseball and that will always turn bad. So, I mean, we got to, we got to stay on top of our stuff because some of these guys, they sign 
multi-million dollar contracts. And if one of them gets hurt on a baseball field, I mean, who do you think that comes back on? I mean, that, that'll be me first thing. So you watch, you want to maintain your moisture in your dirt to where the ball hops true, but you don't want it to be too wet to where it, it kind of hits and stops. And you don't want it too dry to where it hits like it's on a parking lot. So there's issues where you're watching your moisture level in your dirt, plus you're watching lips, plus you're watching where the pitcher plants his foot down. You want to make sure it doesn't slide anywhere to where your moisture is right where it needs to be. And at the end of the day, you want to make sure that the holes in the areas that these are amount of traffic is happening on, like the plate and the mound, those holes don't get too big because then you know your moisture was too much or too little and you go back with these different things. And it's kind of like a, a guessing game on where it needs to be pregame. But whenever postgame comes around and fixing these holes, if you're fixing mound and plate with half a bag of clay, then you're doing great. But if it comes back to it and you're using a, a bag, bag and a half, something needs to change to where we get that field back where it needs to be. All right, I got a couple more for you. Um, I, I used to work uh, in the Carolina League. I worked in Myrtle Beach when uh, a guy who you might know, Chris Ball, was there, Butter, uh, who won like eight, ten straight Field of the Year awards. And I, I remember just being fascinated by – Butter used to come up to the radio booth when I was a broadcaster, and we would have Tuesdays with Butter. So we would sit, and he'd be on the broadcast for a few innings. we just talk about groundskeeping and about field maintenance and about – you know, the life of taking care of minor league baseball facility. And what always fascinated me was that there is a relationship there where even though the field is an inanimate object, it was as though butter knew that it was a living, breathing kind of thing. And I remember if we would have, you know, a seven day homestand followed by let's say an NCAA regional or a super regional for coastal Carolina, and then another homestand after it, I remember in our staff meetings, he would say, we need to give this field rest. This field needs time to breathe. It's been beat up. We've had 27 straight days of events, whatever it is. So this might sound like a weird question to people, but what is it like sort of learning and forming that relationship with the field that you take care of? Because it is something that has to be, um, you know, cared for in a way that isn't just, well, we'll sweep out the dugout today. Right. So there's a lot that goes into it that you got to, you got to know your field is the biggest thing. And you know, these traffic areas that are going to have a little bit more wear than other places. So you go ahead and you tend to those spots ahead of time before you get that traffic on top of it where either you're poking holes in it or you're adding more fertilizer in certain areas or you're adding sand. You're doing things like that to prep for it instead of whenever the back end comes around where you're fixing. So prep work is the biggest thing and you got to have time to do that. That's for sure. And another uh, example is our June for this season. I think we have 26 field usages in, in 31 days. I mean, it's something so there's definitely a lot of planning that's got to go around it but rest is the biggest thing trying to get it to where I can have time to recoup and rain is always better than sprinkler water I mean I don't know what it does I don't know if y'all are religious but I mean the biggest thing to me is getting something from Jesus to where he adds a little something something to the water that he puts down and it always reacts a lot better to that so if there's any time where we can get some rain on infield and foul without me putting the tarp on I, I, I strive for that best I can. If it, if it comes down to it to where I got to put more work in the dirt to get it playable, but I get that rain on the grass on the infield foul, then I'm more than happy to do that. But yeah, the biggest thing is just trying to get rest. And Chris is only a phone call away from me and he's been great to help out with everything. And, uh, but just learning from him and all these other guys and technology has come a long way too. I've got it to where now I can shoot irrigation off just by an app on my phone. And I'm sure that that was something that, we didn't used to have back in those days, but that's amazing. Just being able to the technology advances that have come along has been great equipment wise as well. And fertilizers have come a long way and using your phone for certain things like weather apps and stuff. I mean, that's all that stuff is extremely 
helpful to a groundskeeper. All right. This is the last one for me. Uh, but I would be doing myself a disservice if I did not ask it. I am a homeowner and I am just overrun with dandelions this year, Corey, and it is driving me nuts. Do I have to go out and dig them up or can I, sp- I've sprayed some, it killed them. It was fine, but now they're just like ugly and dead and sitting there. Do I have to go out and dig all those up by the root? No, sir. They should, if you sprayed the right, yes. chemical, it's done the damage, then eventually it will die off and the grass Fantastic. will cover those parts. So Fantastic. You, you just stay on the couch in your new house, Tyler, and you just sit back and drink your beer and watch the grass grow. That, See, that, that's that's all the you, answer that I wanted. That's all you need. And, and if amazing. I could do that, there's been days on like Sunday, dude, you get out here at two o'clock and, and like, like you were saying, Chris says that it's, and he says it well, it's a living thing. I mean, yeah. some of these take off throughout the week and leave work here. That's, that's huge. That's great. I, I, I'd love for that. But at the end of the day, you're taking care of a living, breathing thing. So on, on those Sundays after church, like two o'clock and you're like, well, it's really hot out there. I better go water some grass, just dragging a hose around when there's nobody around here, nobody on the streets, there's no sirens going around. That is some of the peacefulest, I mean, job that you could have. And, it, and it's been and days like that make it really worth it. That is awesome. Corey, um, this is a coincidence, but I happen to be working on a story about groundskeeping right now. Uh, the Louisville Bats became the first team in uh, North American baseball, at least, uh, to get a robo mower made by the Husqvarna Corporation. And you can program that thing to mow. And, uh, you know, it's a kind of interesting concept, uh, a robot groundskeeper. Um, are you familiar with that kind of technology? And can you see yourself, you know, employing robots on your staff? I, I can see it. I mean, that's just where technology is going nowadays, man. I mean, with everything, not just groundskeeping, but I mean, everything that revolves around the world is going to have some sort of techno- technological advance to where you got to either adjust or you conform and, and, and things like that. I mean, I know there's actual painting machines out there now, too. They're just like that mower that a robotic, kind of like an iRobot in your house or a Roomba. You just set that thing up at, at home plate and it goes out and it'll it'll mark your foul lines out. You set it up in the center of a soccer field. It'll mark your soccer field out. They got robo mowers now. But uh, some of these things that you just can't be replaced by like, by a groundskeeper. I mean, things like, you know, I was talking about the, watching the ball roll. A robot won't be able to do that. And the biggest things now is that with PDL and issues with that, you're looking at, you know, robotic umpires coming up too. And some of that stuff is getting rid of the feel of actual baseball to me. But, I mean, the opinion of a groundskeeper from Winston, it, it, it ain't going to change much. But things like that, I, I feel like, need to stay the same. You know, natural grass fields I'll always be a big, uh, you know, supporter of instead of going to AstroTurf. I mean, there's a lot of things that go along with it that technology is taking a foot in. And don't get me wrong, some of these stuff is great. Like this app that I have to run my sprinklers, it's nothing that I've ever been a part of. But now that I have it, I couldn't imagine being a groundskeeper without it. But, uh Things like that, you got to be expected. They got, they're going to happen, but uh, just being able to adjust and, and stay on top of your game to where they don't think that they can replace you with a robot, that's the biggest thing, and that's what I'm after. Yeah, you can't replace the human element, especially when you have people like Corey Church doing the job, director of grounds for the Winston-Salem Dash. No robot Corey, sliding out there to shut off the water. We know that. <laughs> here, here eventually, I'll just be able to hit a button and we'll, we'll get that stuff off. Yeah, no, no, no robots are going viral anytime soon, but uh, yeah, congrats on your celebrity status and uh, thanks for uh, joining us on the show before the show podcast. Sounds good. Ben, Tyler, I appreciate it, fellas. We 
interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. You'd better believe one was real. The others require a foolhardy act of faith. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Dustin Gut Disgusters. B. The San Angelo Steer Stunners. C. The Hutchinson Wheat Shockers. Hold on to your hat because C. The Hutchinson Wheat Shockers played some electric baseball and some not-so-electric baseball across the Western League, the Southwestern Association, the Southwestern League, the Western Association, and once again in the Western League in seven seasons scattered between 
My producer Ben Hill just ordered the oysters Rockefeller, and he's not a rich man. Sam Dykstra this week on our uh, abbreviated edition of the show before the show podcast. Uh, Sam actually done with his game in Norfolk today, the uh, Pipeline uh, MILB TV game of the month. And uh, it was a good one. Seemed like a good one. So go check uh, Sam's stuff at MLB.com slash Pipeline. And of course, follow him at Sam Dykstra, MILB. Just the best dude that uh, you and I uh, know on this podcast and uh, and elsewhere. Uh, so it is I and I alone to give you my MILB TV pick for this coming week, and that is the AA Altoona Curve, who are now the newest home to the number 23 overall prospect in baseball, second-ranked prospect in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization, catcher Henry Davis, who, of course, was the top overall draft pick uh, last year. Henry Davis was with High A Greensboro to start the season, had a fantastic start to the year, got the bump up to AA, and with the bump up to AA, he's now on MILB.TV uh, for every single game. So you can catch Henry Davis uh, and the Altoona Curve. They are home this week to the Somerset Patriots. They are home next week to the Richmond Flying Squirrels. If you are somebody who uh, enjoys a little bit of MILB TV uh, during your workday, they've got an 11 a.m. Eastern time start on Tuesday the 18th. Or check that, sorry, Wednesday the 18th. Uh, so you can catch the, the day game. Otherwise, some evening contests Um Afternoon games, if you are uh, in my time zone or in the the one to the west of here out uh, on the coast. So you can check out Henry Davis and the Altoona Curve at MILB.TV. Uh, huge thanks to Corey Church from the Winston-Salem Dash for joining us. Huge thanks to Benjamin Hill for helping me pilot this ship uh, through this week's edition of the show. Josh Jackson as well for swinging by with Ghost of the Miners and uh, Sam Dykstra. And for all of those guys, my name is Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>